Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we have one of the better known fintechs around the world, at least to me, for sure, a company called Wise, formerly known as TransferWise. And TransferWise originally started out specifically facilitating international payments, but has expanded substantially from there to be one of the better known players in the space. And I've got Nick Catino, head of policy and campaigns for the Americas. And with that, here's my interview with Nick. Nick, thanks for taking the time today. Hey, Jason, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So Nick Catino, tell us about Wise. Wise is a global payments technology company building the best way to move money around the world. We're used by people who travel, live, and work internationally. Currently have 10 million people in businesses, moving more than $6 billion abroad every month, saving themselves $1.5 billion a year compared to typical bank fees. We offer a send money product, moving money from one country or currency to another. We also have multi-currency accounts, so you can hold up to 56 currencies at the same time. And we have local account details available in 10 currencies. That includes the Canadian dollar, makes it easier to get paid like a local. And then we also have a debit card, which we have not yet launched in Canada. We hopefully will. And so for me, when I travel, I use that. I get instant notifications saying how much I've been charged, the transaction fee. We use the real-time exchange rate, no hidden fees. And we're not only a consumer-facing product, but we're also used by banks and businesses who have integrated our APIs directly within their own platforms. So EQ Bank in Canada, for example, if you're a customer of theirs and you click on Send Money Internationally, you'll see Powered by Wise pop up. We're really excited to be here. Thanks again, Jason. Fantastic. Well, let's keep in mind that the audience is global while Canada is my foothold. And I do appreciate you trying to make my terrible, terrible, terrible banking system better. <laughs> let's talk, let's keep this global perspective. So uh, those were some enormous numbers, like $6 billion a month you're facilitating and savings of upwards of how much? One and a half billion dollars per year. That is insane, right? So, you know, so just basic math, $72 billion transacted. And you're saying that you're managing to shave one and a half billion dollars off $72 billion in transactions. Like just basic math, that's 2% of just an enormous market. And now let's talk about the genesis of the company and the history of what it came to be. But I mean, this is, it's hard for people to wrap their head around because when, when they think about transferring money, in most cases, they think about when they go on vacation. Never mind the massive amounts of B2B transactions that happen every day or global remediation with people just helping send money back home to their family. Like this market cannot be underestimated just how enormous it is and how even the slightest sliver, like you showed with two billion two percent on on 72 billion equals 1.5 billion in savings per year. So we're gonna hear some big numbers today. Let's all try to wrap our heads around it. But tell me about the origin of the company. How did it come to be? Sure. Wise was founded in 2011 as TransferWise in London. And it was our two co-founders, Christo and Tavit. They were good friends. They uh, were both expats in London. And it started with Christo sending his Christmas bonus from pounds to euros. He likes to say a mistake led to the idea for the company. He thought uh, since interest rates were higher in euros, that if he moved, moved that money from pounds to euros, he would actually make more even with that 15-pound wire fee that is bank quoted. So he moves the money, pays the 15-pound wire fee, except there was suddenly 5% less on the other side. Why? Because of inflated exchange rates. When people send money abroad, they often do not realize that they're losing not only in the fee that is told to them, but also the exchange rate. And so Tavit had the opposite problem. He was getting paid 
in euros but needed pounds. So the two of them started switching between themselves. They were using the mid-market rate that they saw on Reuters, Bloomberg, Google. It's all the same. It's the wholesale rate, the midpoint between buy and sell for the banks. And a bunch of other friends in London, fellow expats with uh, multiple currency needs joined in. And from there, an idea was born. Uh, so it's been, been a decade. The idea of the company came from the idea that consumers are getting ripped off when they send money abroad. And that is still central to our mission today, trying to make port payments more transparent. On some level, I bet they wish the euro wasn't a thing and you still had Europe with all those different small currencies because that would just exponentially increase the problem. But that said, no surprise that in Europe where you're still used to, where there's a lot more currency transactions happening than say in the US, you typically, you know, at least it's more top of mind for people because travel is so much cheaper and easier in, in Europe that uh, that sort of problem is very apparent. And you touched upon something very important here. It's not just fees that are stated, it's what's known as spread. Right. It's, hey, you know, we have a posted rate for what we'll buy your euros for, but we also have a posted rate for what we'll sell you euros for. And there's a gap between those two. And that is to the uninitiated, to those who don't live in the world of finance, that's not something they typically think of. Right. They don't they don't necessarily understand the concept of spread, but spreads can be incredibly fat, as you're proving right now. I do this for a living. I'm laser focused on pricing on cross-border payments. When I travel, I keep track of all my, I keep my credit card receipts. And when I get back, I'm always calculating how much spread, even on my credit cards, there was. I do this for a living and it is a complicated calculation. I can't imagine someone doing this from scratch with my mom. If she was trying to send money abroad, I can't imagine her trying to shop around. She wouldn't even understand what she was looking at. And that's pretty common for consumers. We've done a lot of research, including in Canada, where we've looked at how big these hidden fees are. We found Canadian consumers and small businesses lose $13 billion in hidden exchange rate markups every year. And that breaks down people on vacation, you know, right across the US border, perhaps, or to Europe, lose $1.1 billion. People sending remittances, often defined as migrant workers sending money to family and friends in another country, they lose $1.3 billion. And those Canadian small businesses lose $10.3 billion. Canadian businesses lose 10.3 billion, half of that small and medium-sized businesses. But even worse, because right, we pay fees when we send money abroad. I get that. They don't realize how much they've been overcharged. We also mm -hmm. did some consumer surveys. 80% of consumers and 74% of those small businesses were unaware of the exchange rate markups. And that is similar to the results we've seen in other markets, including the US around the world. People see that upfront fee and they think that's what they're being charged, or they focus only on how much is received on the other side. They don't take the time to see what that FX spread is and how much it's costing. Imagine if you lost 5% in taxes on every transaction, people would be up in arms. But that's essentially what's happening due to FX spreads. Yeah. And, and frankly, there's a certain level at which you become astutely aware of this, right? If you're running a company that's you know running millions of dollars in sales and you basically have to buy from overseas vendors on a regular basis, you probably have spoken to your bank about what can be done. And they probably graduated you up to the next level of where you're actually speaking to an FX desk and you're not getting hosed with consumer rates. But for the average person, this is a, you know, these are small transactions, right? These are relatively small transactions in most cases. And more often than not, you know, they they don't look at this sort of thing enough, right? Like you're not, you're not doing this on a daily basis. You're not doing this on a daily basis. You don't know what to look for. And you know, if the one time that you have a very large sum or relatively large sum, you don't necessarily think that there's something beyond that. Right. And just to give some context, as I looked this up in the meantime on Forex trading statistics, and this is just utterly insane back in 2019. And you can bet that's definitely higher now. 
6.6 trillion in foreign exchange was transacted daily, daily. So that is, I mean, I, again, I can't, I'm going to try to multiply that by 365 in my head and I'm going to fall over if I do. So let's just leave that alone. So right. uh, yeah, we're talking, we're talking quadrillions a year, quadrillions. If you look at just how much are the consumers and small businesses that are probably getting ripped off, because you're right. I think when you're a you know, multinational corporation or a large business, you have finance desk that's negotiating these rates on the whole, you know, wholesale market. They know what they're doing. It's the consumers and small businesses. We estimate it's probably around 8 to $10 trillion is the size of the market. That's based on a McKinsey study they put out every year on payments. That's hundreds of billions of dollars in fees consumers and small businesses are paying. And then just even thinking about remittances, which would typically be migrant workers sending money to friends and family in another country. Statistics Canada a few years ago put out a report. They put out a series of reports, actually. And the average amount, the average cost was around 6% paid by remitters. 6%. That's not only Canadians losing money because of that. But on the other end, you know, think of how much money spent on foreign aid by countries. That means there's less money arriving for international development. So that's why the World Bank and IMF and others have been pretty laser focused on this issue as well. And in fact, they've had some recommendations recently to clamp down on this. There was a big report that came out in the fall led by the UN and World Bank, and it recommended that governments move towards total cost pricing. What that means is fees plus any FX margin together in a single upfront fee. And that's how, that's how we price, right? The idea that people don't know what they're being charged. A lot of others, including our bank partner, EQ Bank, and others are doing it. And I think this is a coming trend, whether through government regulation or industry getting ahead of regulation. I think the future includes transparent pricing. We're just trying to nudge everyone to help get there. I live in Canada, industry getting ahead of regulation is a, is a foreign concept. But, you know, and not only that, I mean, you start thinking about the entire global remittance market. We're talking about people sending sending money back to impoverished nations, right? Like six point skim off of that. And you know, the only the only data I could find on this was World Bank estimated in 2019, yet again, two days, two years worth of data, $714 billion. $714 billion. Every point of that is $7.1 billion. So we are talking about a significant amount that could go towards just basic lifestyle necessities for these people. So not surprised. And, you know, as for the World Bank pushing for more transparent options, I mean, absolutely. I mean, so let's just take a step back on the entire industry, right? Like, let's think about how global remittances even started. I mean, you can go way back if you want to the times of the Templars (laughs) or the Rothschild fortunes and basically being able to move, being able to move money across borders. But, you know, I'll go to a more modern one. You think of like the likes of Western Union, right? Like you needed massive global networks of fixed, you know, fixed locations that basically were able to to aggregate money on one side of a border, move it to another side of border, reconcile this and make sure they made money. So there there was a large amount of complexity and overhead. Clearly, the Internet has changed that just like everything else. Right. Yet still, unfortunately, as consumers will find with almost financial institutions is productivity savings are not necessarily passed on competitively in terms of better rates for consumers because largely the cloudy way in which these things are priced, right? Like if everybody had had, you know, you're going to pay a flat fee per hundred of, you know, five cents or whatever it is, whatever the number is going to be. And a consumer could very easily compare two people and say, okay, I'm getting a better deal here versus there. And know with certainty that was the case, we'd have a lot more price competition, but it's, it's convoluted and cloudy for 
a reason. It's not as like to say, it's not a bug, it's a feature in the system. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's why price transparency is so important. I think that'll help drive down costs. Consumers and small businesses really would save a lot of money. If if suddenly uh, you know a bank is showing they're charging 6 7%, they're going to get a little more conscious of that. Consumers are going to yep. start shopping around. Suddenly, they won't be charging that amount anymore. So that, that's why this is so important. There could be a lot more competition in this market that just doesn't currently exist. Consumers, small businesses don't know what they're being charged. Yeah, especially for something that's quite honestly a commodity, right? Like this is a money exchange is a commodity. You know, there's no, maybe, you know, you want some sort of white glove service. If you have large amounts of currency that someone's going to bring it to you in a sealed on a sealed briefcase, like it's, you know, a bond movie or something. But beyond that, like what, what is there, right? So let's, let's talk about the actual experience, right? So I am a consumer and I need to send money somewhere around the world. I got to pay a vendor. I want to send it to my family. How do I utilize your platform? Sure. So I, I use Wise like I would use Venmo here in the States. So that would allow me to send money to a friend or family member on the platform. You know, I can send it to, to their name. I'll, I'll see them on there. If I am traveling, I'll use my debit card because it's available here in the States. Hopefully we'll be in Canada soon. It's integrated with Apple Pay. So I'll double click on my phone, tap and pay, get that instant notification. If you're a small business, we're often used for goods and services, so imports and exports, paying uh, workers and freelancers internationally. We're integrated with a number of the accounting platforms as well to make it easier to reconcile payments. So UX is hopefully as convenient and seamless and you know, moving money in 2021 should be like sending an email. And that's what we're after. You know, we've talked about a couple of these topics already, but our, our mission is money without borders, moving money instantly, conveniently, transparently, and eventually free. And so if you go through those pillars instantly, we're moving 38% of our transfers instantly, 62% are less than one hour, our costs are less than 0.7%. We talked about transparency already. That That's not only about price. That's also about knowing where your money is, when it will arrive, and inconvenience, trying to make it as easy as possible. And that's not just our app, but our website. The experience should be good and also how we integrate with our partners. Yeah. No, as a as someone who's used you for everything from sending money between borders to exchanging it for when I was going to travel to paying vendors overseas, like you're my go-to for smaller amounts at a certain threshold. I do go to a large scale currency broker, but, and we still compare to you. So, and quite frankly, it's always very close. I'm happy. Yeah. To hear that. So let's talk about how you enable businesses as well. Like, you know, how does that service differ? Sure. So we have 10,000 small businesses joining our service every month and a number of others. Again, the accounting platforms, Google Pay, you know, so this is not just banks, but some of the, the tech companies that are launching uh, payments platforms, their users in the US can now pay directly to India and Singapore. On the business side, you know, we are just trying to make it really easy for, for our customers to move money abroad. You know, I think of my dad, he's a small business, a sole, sole employee. And when he buys stuff from Canada, and I'm here in Arlington, Virginia, just outside of DC, when my, you know, my dad's buying stuff often from Canada, he's just paying through his bank and he has a checking account and he gets, you know, an invoice and it has sometimes in USD, but oftentimes in Canadian dollars. And he's told to, wire money to whoever he's buying it from. So he goes to his bank and he says, you know, I'd like to wire this money. And it's the same thing I described about our initial founding. He is told there's a wire fee and then there's often an uh -huh. FX margin. So instead he's using us. He has a business account, which is pretty similar to the consumer experience. 
And so he's typing in the local account details for the person he's sending it to. Uh, and then, and through us, you know, it's not a wire, it's a transparent fee. So the experience is, is pretty similar. But then if, if he's using any of those accounting platforms, it makes it easy to reconcile payments as well. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's very easy to basically lose quite a lot of money in business when you're transacting internationally. And I mean, anyone who's, anyone who's basically ever dealt with a large swing in their currencies will attest to that. I mean, I, uh, I like to say it's um, every time I go to pay my Salesforce bill every year, because it's priced in USD, it's a, it's a roulette. It's a, it's a, it's a get spin of the roulette wheel. I'm either better off or worse off than last year. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, for someone like you, we're trying to make it easier for businesses to use us. We started consumer facing brand and, you know, and so there's a, a number of features like multi-user access, that we've rolled out recurring payments, mass payouts, things like that. Uh, and so just really excited about the future of our company. We've already had some pretty significant consumer adoption. Now it's businesses, the use cases that you've highlighted are clear. And then those integrations with those bank and business partners, that's where I'm really excited to see our, our you know rocket growth in the future. Excellent. So you also talked about the ability to hold currencies in, in multiple currencies. I mean, how many do you say you guys support now? Uh, 56 yes. currencies. So if I am, uh, you know, assuming COVID's not a thing and I am a jet setter traveling around the world and I can have my, my own wise card, I can literally just not have to worry about FX fees. I can just transact one time or do whatever I need to that one time and just basically spend in the proper currency. You got right. it. You got to have it there, have it ready. And then there's no, no conversion happening because you've already moved it. So it makes it easy. Yep. So, and, you know, especially I would go back to the business side. If you're a business that's transacting in multiple currencies already and you can keep cash in every currency and you're specifically traveling to support that, that's an incredible tool, right? You don't have to pull out that card and not have to worry about any FX fees whatsoever. That's right. That's right. So then that brings up the natural question. What happens if I'm transacting in euros and I run out of euros? <laughs> what do you guys do then? Then we will transact automatically at the lowest cost conversion. We, we have that built into our product. So, you know, if whether you have Canadian dollars, US dollars in, we'll do that conversion for you. So it's all, all automated, all built in. And again, we'll do it the lowest cost. You know, it's really important to us when we talk about transparency and low cost. That's part of who we are. Something that often happens when you travel abroad is dynamic currency conversion. And that's where maybe you're in Europe or US. And you'll get that option. Do you want to pay for this in your local currency or home currency? You should always choose local. But there's an incentive for the business that you choose home. You know, they can make mm -hmm. more that currency conversion spread. Our CEO, Christo, a year or two ago, over a long weekend, built a tool within our platform that automatically notifies a person if they've chosen wrong so they don't, they don't do it again. And, you know, and, and that there's no business. It doesn't impact our revenue either way. It's all about living that ethos of transparency. People, when they travel internationally, don't know whether they should be selecting home or local on you know that point of sale terminal abroad. So if they select if they select their home currency and they're getting ripped off on that conversion, they'll now know not to do it next time because they'll receive that instant notification. Our CEO actually built that over a weekend, and we all came into work and saw it posted on a Monday, and uh, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> how we're living that ethos. I do love the speed at which guys like you move. It's fantastic. So um, basically, talk to me about some of the bigger trends you're seeing around the world now. Like, you know, this is a, first off, you're, you're at the nexus point of a number of big areas, besides the fact that 
you know, you guys have been emerging from a currency conversion company to almost we'll call you a challenger bank in some countries. You've been at the forefront of a lot of the open banking discussions around the world. What's going on there? What do you see happening around the world? Give me a lay of the land. Sure. Payments modernization has been a pretty big focus in a number of countries because the benefits for consumers and the ecosystem is pretty clear. It's not just innovation and competition, though that's a big part of it. It's also the end users, better services, lower costs, lots of reasons to pursue this. UK probably kicked it off first. You know, They created this e-money license that we're subject to more than a decade ago. But then in 2018, they expanded access to the payment system. We were actually the first. And what that means, historically, the banks were the ones that, that did payments. But we've seen this unbundling that's occurred over the last decade or so. And so now it's, it's payment companies like us or PayPal or, or others that consumers are using. So the UK opened up their, their payments access to TransferWise. A number of other countries have done that and are doing it. There's also an instant payments system. So being able to move money instantly, that's coming in Canada next year. And then finally, it's, it's open banking, really based on the principle that consumers own their data, not the banks. And so in Canada, all these things are, are kind of happening quietly. I, you know, so when I say payments modernization, it's those four things. One was an instant payment system that's coming next year in Canada. Two mm-hmm. is a modern payments charter that was actually in the budget that came out last month. So that'll be implemented in the years ahead. Three is expanding. Glad you said years. I'm glad you said years. <laughs> we, don't, we don't move quickly. In It'll this be country. a process for sure. Mm-hmm. Three is expanded access to the payment system. The government has started the process to put out consultations. We're hoping that's something that, that will become law, perhaps in next year's budget. We'll see. And then four is open banking, as you said. And that uh, allows you to link financial accounts. That also could allow payments initiation, as has been the case in the UK. All of these things can make a big difference for consumers. I think Canada is viewed as a laggard in payments. There's a chance if these things all move forward to become a leader. And that means consumers, the products and services they have available to them, the costs they're paying, the competition, the homegrown, the homegrown fintechs. I think that could grow. We're either yeah. a partner. You know, we're not trying to step in and dominate a market ourselves. We would love to partner with those Canadian financial institutions, integrate directly within their platforms. And we think that's possible in the future if all four of these payments initiations, payments modernization initiatives go through. Yeah, you're used to far more competitive landscapes than Canada, I'll tell you that much. So um, cautiously optimistic is all you can be because uh, we've been let down too many times. But that said, yes, like I've been making this point forever. The great thing about not being first is you can learn from everybody else's mistakes. The problem yep. is you got to actually start doing stuff to do it. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But again, like, let's just take this a step back altogether. Why is this payments modernization so important for the, you know, in a lay person's talk? Like, I mean, like we know that you and I know and we discussed it, how Essentially, this is going to make it easier for technology companies and new competitors and new entrants. Like that's fine from a business standpoint, from an end user standpoint. Why is it so important? It's about cost. You look in the UK, our average fee is around maybe 0.4% or so. And that money's moving instantly. If you're a Canadian or American, it might be 1% or more. And that money could take days to be received on the other side. So that's not only cost in terms of what the fees are. But if it takes multiple days and you're a small business that's working capital, that's locked up. This is a real impact to people. You know, and then you talk about open banking beyond just us, beyond just payments. If I'm doing my finances, I can have personal 
financial dashboard with all my accounts pulled together. That's happening because of open banking. I'm tracking all my accounts. I'm seeing them all in front of me, even if they're in eight different places. I'm able from that to get recommendations that are tailored to me, maybe save me a lot of money, whether consolidating student loans or we saw during the last year when a lot of small businesses struggled due to the economic hit from COVID. In the US, there was lending that happened from a number of fintechs who were able to use things like cash flow and allowed better underwriting that allowed government dollars to reach more small and medium-sized businesses. I know in the Canadian market, there's been a lot of criticisms that that, that didn't happen. Those are the mm-hmm. use cases from open banking that are real. Well, I mean, it comes down to, you know, I think I'll sum it up this way. What you're describing is it comes down to friction. Sometimes access to, to money at an affordable way with a little friction is both. So friction in two ways. One is speed and two is basically cost, right? Okay. And both of them are negatively impactful on the economy, like it, across the board. And as I keep saying, like I can order something from Amazon right now and it'll be here today. I can you know, order whatever food I want basically in my city and it'll be here in 30 minutes. Yet it takes three days for a check to settle, three days for a trade to settle, international transactions, oftentimes more than a week. These are the problems of last century, not this century, right? Yet somehow we carry that that hangover into this century. And that's a problem. With 2021, sending money should be like sending an email. It's just the movement of data. Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody uh, to get you to think. And if you listen to the podcast, you've heard a couple. So the first one is, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? We actually just talked about it. I think access to payment rails Just historically, that's been limited to banks. A number of countries have realized the benefits of opening that up to payment companies like us. That's happening. In fact, the Financial Stability Board, part of the BIS, has recommended that. Canada, I mentioned the consultation is moving forward. I think if you opened access to the payment rails, that would spur more competition and innovation, ultimately lower costs pretty significantly for consumers. So I would love to see that happen. I think that also allows, instead of relying relying on the legacy technology and and bank rails of banks, we're able to integrate directly ourselves, just a better consumer experience all around. That's coming. I'm pretty confident. Just want that to speed up. I'm a little impatient. You and me both. Second question. What's been the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today? I think generally for a global payments company, being new to a market is is certainly difficult. Takes a lot of investment in that market, setting up bank partnerships, getting a lay of the land of the market, understanding the regulations. But I think the the more specific answer perhaps is the lack of consumer awareness about how much they're getting charged when, when they send money abroad. You know, we, we talked at the start of this about all the different fees. People are getting screwed when they send money internationally and they just don't know. And so we're trying to mm-hmm. launch consumer education campaigns around the world, help raise awareness, and you know, ultimately, we'd love to see everyone join us in being transparent with their pricing. But I think that lack of consumer awareness of how much they're getting charged is a bit of a challenge we're trying to overcome. Unfortunately, many financial institutions occupy a position of trust and faith uh, with their consumers that they have not deserved, quite honestly. <laughs> my Canadian frustration speaking out yet again. And it's true. I mean, again, you know, they think you have a large institution that, oh, you know, it's safe and they can trust them. But no, they're they're gouging you in more ways they can count. And this is if anyone wants to get into a contentious conversation in this industry, uh, start talking about compensation reform and transparency. See how see how long it takes for people to start screaming at you. 
Last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up in the morning to fight the good fight every day? That would be, I think, the, the culture and the people at WISE. I know everyone talks about culture, but it's real. You know, we have a flat, autonomous culture. The people who lead projects really do lead it with, with a high degree of autonomy and just really so many smart, driven, diverse people. We now have 2,400 WISERs from more than 70 countries. And it, it's really cool to have that global perspective. And you just get to continually learn about different markets and, and cultures and take ownership of the projects you're working on. That, that's really empowering. And it's been one of the best parts of working at WISE. Fantastic. Well, like I said, I will endorse you as a user. Um, I've been a fan for I've been a fan for years. In fact, I actually remember when you guys launched a card and I was disappointed to find out I couldn't get it in Canada. <laughs> so many other things. Hopefully, uh, but it's change that in time, hopefully. Well, yeah. My wife's getting a little bit frustrated at me signing up for every challenger bank in the country, but it is what it is. I got to experiment for this podcast, right? But uh, no, you've been a valuable resource uh, as a company to my clients. So I thank you for that. So Nick, thank you so much for the time and thank you for taking the time to appear. Thanks, Jason. That was great. Appreciate it. So that was today's episode of FinTech Impact. I hope you enjoyed that. And again, if you are looking for a better, faster, cheaper, and just better experience way to transact international currencies, then please check out WISE. Once again, you may recognize the name as TransferWISE. They just recently changed that, but um, essentially uh, one of the world leaders in this space. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever you your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.